Good morning. We are grateful for your presence this morning, the chance to worship together and spend time in fellowship. As always, we give thanks to those who have led us so far. Appreciate Brian leading us in those songs. Uh, appreciate Jeff and his thoughts as he always does a good job in leading us and thinking about the Lord's Supper. Uh, appreciate Tom's heartfelt prayers. Appreciate so many of our men who pray. I also appreciate usually when Joe does the announcements, we find out some facts about Joe when we hear Joe do the announcements, but we appreciate that. I appreciate Joe's long history with so many of you in the congregation here, and we're just thankful to all those who have led us uh, so far this morning. If I could take just a moment and say something about next Sunday, uh, one other announcement we had was that there should be a sign-up sheet on the table in the foyer here when you leave in a few moments uh, and through the day. If you plan to stay with us for breakfast uh, food next Sunday afternoon after our morning service, if you would sign up there uh, on that piece of paper, then that will help us as we make plans for next Sunday. Uh, but we do hope that you plan to be with us. Some of you will have family commitments. Some of you will be out of town or traveling. But we encourage you to plan to be here, if at all possible. Uh, not because I'm asking or even because the elders have said that we're going to stay by making the statement that we're going to stay with our regular schedule, uh, letting us know that they want us to continue in our worship of the Lord on the Lord's Day. But I hope that you plan to be here because you want to be. Uh, it is the Lord's Day. It belongs to God, uh, just as the other Sundays throughout the year do. And so we hope that you plan to be a part of uh, our family gathering here. It is a holiday usually that we think about in regards to family, and that's true. Um, but what better example to set for your family than to plan to be here, not only maybe your household, but even your extended family, to let them know that you're going to be a part of worshiping the Lord on the Lord's Day. You know, I thought about asking for donations, um, maybe donations for each dollar that we collected. We would cut the sermon short a little bit, maybe by a minute for each dollar that we collected. Um, I figured the way it worked, if I did that, I could get enough money that I could probably just walk up here and say good morning and then go sit right back down when I was done. We'd probably collect enough money for that. But no, we won't ask for donations. But uh, it will be a, a good day to be together. Uh, we will have worship on Sunday morning in class, as we always do, have our time of lunch um, for the breakfast food there, and then we'll have an afternoon service. And then hopefully uh, you'll still be able to spend some time with your family or extended family that day. But we hope that you make plans to worship God, certainly, next Sunday, as we hope that you do every Sunday. You know, I don't know about you, but I am thankful for the God that we serve. He is truly awesome. He is kind. He is loving. He is gracious. And if you have an outline in front of you this morning, you've already seen the title of the lesson. We're going to notice this morning that he is truly, truly patient. I don't know if it's the same way for you, but that may be one of my favorite attributes of God. I love the other things that we mentioned just a moment ago, but maybe my favorite attribute of God is that he is patient. And I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because I so often lack the patience that I should have. No matter how hard we try, sometimes I'm not patient with my wife or I'm short with my kids. It is something that the God of heaven has in abundance. And I see it and I want to emulate it. But I struggle, as we all do sometimes, to really emulate the patience of God. What we want to do this morning is examine God's patience for just a few moments and in particular one lesson that I want to emphasize in fact before the pandemic started I, I did my best each year to try to plan out a year's worth of sermons to, to have almost every Sunday spoken for with topics and titles and know exactly what we're going to work through and I've had those on the bulletin board it's in my office at home 
uh, and, and I've had one up that I think I had done for 2020, was the last one that I had put up, and then of course as things kind of uh, went sideways, and then we were not meeting for a while, and we came back together, I had abandoned a lot of that for that year, but towards the bottom I'd started making some notes of some ideas that I have when things come to my mind, and this was one in particular that I'd been kind of thinking about for a long time, and I want us to examine the lesson that we need to learn when we think about God's patience. But before we do that, let's think about the, that patience this morning. The first point, if you have an outline, is that God is patient. I, I know that seems redundant here, but it is, and we need to notice that. First of all, in Scripture, he's called that. It's said about him. He is patient. Romans chapter 15, in verse number 5, Now may the God of patience... Romans chapter 15 and verse number 5. Paul is going to say it very plainly. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another. He's the God of patience. As we said to begin, to begin this morning, he's the God of a lot of things, but he is called patience. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 17. In the New King James Version, Nehemiah 9, 17 says, You are God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger. If you have uh, other versions, it may say something a little different. The contemporary English version says, Our God, you are merciful and quick to forgive. You are loving, kind, and very patient. He is. He's a patient God, and we are truly thankful for that. But the thing is, is in Scripture, not only do we see it said very plainly, but we also see it borne out. We see it borne out in action, do we not? All throughout Scripture. We go back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 3, and we see there that God was patient. God's patience was shown to the generation in Noah's day. The generation of Noah's day, God showed patience towards them. Why is that? Because in the first few verses of chapter 6 there, we see that the thoughts of man were only evil continually. Do you try to wrap your mind around that at all? I said that I sometimes don't have enough patience for my kids, and sometimes that's because they're not listening or they're not doing what I tell them to do, and sometimes that's within the first time or the first moment. We tell them to do something and they don't do it or we've said don't do it and the first time I hear them do it, I jump to getting angry and upset with them. God's, the people in Noah's day, they were only evil continually and God's patience was up but yet he showed patience towards them for a good while. It wasn't the first time they uttered some type of word or committed some type of sin but that's all they're thinking about is evil and yet he is patient. In Genesis chapter 18, beginning in about verse 26 and, and following, we see God's patience shown towards Sodom. Do you remember reading in this account, Genesis 18 there, that God was longing, as we read it, to spare Sodom? In fact, there's the going back and forth between God and Abraham on how many righteous people that Abraham could find. Right? So it's just this patience, this idea of patience. Again, if there were people that needed to be destroyed, probably in the blink of an eye, in a moment because of how evil they were, it may have very well been the people of Sodom. Yet God shows patience towards them, even as he did in the days of Noah. Or what about Exodus chapter 34 and verse number 6? There were gathered around Mount Sinai. 
And in Exodus 34, at Mount Sinai, Moses is making new tablets of stone. You remember that, right? Of course, he had destroyed the previous tablets, the first set. So he's going about making this second set of stone tablets. And God reveals himself at this moment to Moses as a God who is slow to anger. Slow to anger. I've already given you the personal example, and many of you can attest to it as well, that sometimes we are not slow to anger with our family, our children, or our spouse. We are quick to anger. But God himself says, I am slow to anger. He is patient. He has called that. He has shown that. There is no doubt that the God of heaven is a patient God, and we praise him for that. The second thing we would notice this morning, though, in connection, and really in connection with the lesson that we're going to get to in just a moment for all of us to take home. Secondly, God is holy. God is an absolutely holy being. He cannot be around sin. You see, what we do is we try to avoid it, right? We try to avoid it in our own lives. We say sometimes that you need to be careful of the company that you keep. Right? That's not just my words, but it's Paul's words. You need to be careful who you're hanging around. So we try not to be sinful. We try not to be around people in a larger sense who are sinful. But it's not that way with God. He is absolutely holy, and he cannot be around sin. When we think about his holiness, let's examine again, first of all, he is called that. That's exactly what the Bible says. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 3, in that vision... Do you remember that beautiful vision of Isaiah? Sees that beautiful vision of that amazing throne room. And in that throne room, he sees the seraphim. And they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And we get this, we try to picture in our mind as Isaiah is describing for us this wonderful throne room filled with the holiness of God. We go forward all the way to the end in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 8. This time it's John. John in his heavenly vision. John's view into the throne room of heaven where this time he sees four living creatures who, what does it say? What are they doing? They do not rest day or night. Instead they're saying, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. When we think about God's holiness, this idea of whether it be the seraphim or whether it be the four living creatures, or it should be us today, every bit of our lives should be caught up in showing forth the majesty and holiness of God. I know you're thankful for it. You're here this morning because I think you're thankful for it as I am. But every bit of our lives, just like those four living creatures, should be caught up. Not resting, but proclaiming, whether it be with our actual words or certainly with our actions. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Even James, in James chapter 1 and verse number 13, suggests about the Lord's holiness. James 1, really James is beginning this discussion on temptation, but he's talking about this idea of God's holiness. His, the idea that God does not commit sin. The Bible says explicitly that God is holy. But can I suggest for you, as we did a few moments ago with his patience, that the Bible also explains it to us with some examples. Number one, let's go back to Sinai again in Exodus chapter 20. 
There are biblical examples of God's holiness and his inability to be around sin. Do you remember again at Mount Sinai? Before we get in Exodus chapter 20 to the giving of the Ten Commandments, in Exodus chapter 19, verses 12 through 25, there is this vivid picture that is painted for us. Exodus 19. We usually skip over it to get to the Ten Commandments, right? But beginning in verse 12, there is this picture of a holy and mighty God on the mountain. And what's down below but sinful Israel. Remember that they were not to go up on the mountain. They were not so much as to touch the mountain or even its base. In fact, verse 12 says, Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. I'll begin to give you a bit of the lesson here maybe. But do you think that most of those people were kind of running up to the bottom and seeing how close they could get to touch it? Maybe some were. Or do you think that they would be like some of us who would wonder if there's kind of some rocks down on the ground and it sort of builds up to the base of the mountain that I wouldn't even want to touch those, right? I mean, we'd put a barrier up 10 feet back. Stay as far away as you can. And maybe somebody did get close enough to touch that rock and maybe they dropped dead. Because of the holiness of God and the separation between God and sinful Israel. As you notice, if you turn there, do you remember the fire and the smoke and the lightnings and the thunderings going on? And what are the people down below doing? They're trembling at the holiness of God. And we begin to see here that there is this separation. There is this separation between a holy God and sinful people. But then we go further. Do you remember the tabernacle? We talked a little bit about it with our kids as we studied Exodus and things a few years ago for Bible Bowl. But do you remember the tabernacle from your studies maybe as a child in Bible class? Do you remember the layout of the tabernacle? We usually put that up maybe on a board or make it and build it so that we can understand exactly how it was built. Do you remember? There's the outer court, right, of that area that was walled off. But then there was the holy place and then there was the most holy place. And there were curtains and there was separation because sinful man cannot be where a holy God is. All of this is not for God to look down his nose at us to remind us of how awful and terrible we are. But to simply say that he is truly holy to remind us of the holiness of God. But as we think about the holiness of God, the other thing that we want to notice as we begin to sort of make application is... We need to think about God's perfect justice. God's perfect justice. You see, connected with his patience, connected with his holiness, is also his perfect justice. We mentioned James 1, verses, verse 13 a moment ago. The Lord's holiness here not only suggests that he cannot commit sin personally, as James says here, but it also means that we need to think about his perfect justice. Not only is he an absolutely holy being, but God's holiness also means that he cannot commit sin, but also that he cannot ignore sin. He can't ignore it. How often do we sometimes with our family and our friends pretend to look away or pretend to put blinders on, say, well, we're just not going to notice that. We're not going to correct somebody because we don't want to do that, but we're just going to pretend not to notice God's not that way. His perfect justice says that he is holy, that he cannot sin, but also that he cannot ignore sin. 
Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13 says, You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Now we know God sees wickedness though, right? We go back to the Old Testament, we think about the children of Israel. We go forward to the New Testament, we think about the words of Jesus and the writers of the New Testament. No, God sees our wickedness. But we appreciate as well the words of the prophet Habakkuk here and the idea that no, God cannot ignore sin. You are of pure eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. In fact, the psalmist says in Psalm 5 in verse 4, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. He just can't do it because of his perfect justice. In Psalm 11, the psalmist reminds us that those who live in wickedness and disobedience will be, they will be. Do you understand? I can't say it because I'm perfect, but I can say it because God's word says it, and it's as true as we are standing here and sitting here right now. Those who engage in disobedience and wickedness, they will be the recipients of the vengeance of God. Psalm 11, verses 6 and 7. Upon the wicked, he will rain coals. Fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. Why? We might interject here. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. We should be thankful that God is patient. We should be thankful that God is holy. And we should be thankful, although we certainly also need to certainly be aware of God's perfect justice because of all of those things together. He cannot commit sin. We're thankful for his holiness, but we must also recognize that he cannot ignore sin. I don't know if that makes you nervous. That's not necessarily the point, is to try to scare you this morning or to make you nervous. But without a doubt, it is 100% true that he cannot and he will not ignore sin. So here's the point. All right, here, here's the lesson and here's the main point. This is what I, I wrote down on the board there that I've been mulling around for a long time. The point is, God's patience is not acceptance. God's patience is not acceptance. Think about it for just a moment. Hear what I'm saying and try to get to where we're going with this in your own mind. God's patience is not acceptance. I want you to consider this morning because I firmly believe that for many people, myself included maybe sometimes, we get this backwards in our minds a lot, right? I firmly believe that the mind is a very powerful thing. We convince ourselves of things. We convince ourselves that something is right or wrong or something is true or false or we need to do this or we need to ignore that. We, our mind is very powerful. And so often our mind is very powerful because we can make things that are a big deal to God seem like not a big deal, right? We can convince ourselves for all of these myriad of reasons that we can come up with that it's, it's not a big deal. I don't have to do that. That's not, surely God doesn't care about that. You begin to see where I'm going with this. For, all, for us very often, I think what happens is we think I did blank. Right? Fill, fill in whatever you want to. 
It's easy for me sometimes to say that I, I murdered or, or, or come up with all these awful things that most of us never engage in, right? We think, well, that's not me. But fill in the blank because we all have personal problems and sins that we struggle with. I, I did whatever it is. And here's the problem and the lesson we need to learn. We, what we see, what our minds convince ourselves of is I did this and nothing happened, so it must be that it's okay. Right now, again, murder things, certain things, there's punishment. A person maybe who murders someone, they're found, found out by the local government, the human law, and they're, they're put to jail or death for that. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the time that we, in our, of ourselves, do whatever it might be in secret with no one around. And maybe literally we don't stop and kind of look up to the heavens waiting to be struck dead. But, but we do, right? We think, well, nothing happened. So maybe it's okay if I do it again. What are we saying? Well, we're saying the fact that God is patient, that he doesn't strike us dead the moment that we do something, must mean that it's all right and I can keep going. You say, preacher, that's, you don't know me. That's not true. You can't read my mind. And to that I would say, I don't have to. Number one, because I know that I can practice this in my own life sometimes, unfortunately. But number two, I don't have to read your mind or anyone else's mind, not just you gathered here this morning. But here's the thing about that. Our actions prove it sometimes, right? When we continue in sin, we don't have to say that we believe that. Our actions are showing that we do. We all have these things sometimes that we continue in because and only because God has blessed us with more time. Because he's allowed us to continue living, and so we think it must be okay. It should not be our goal to see how much we can get away with or how much we can do to be like the world. A couple of passages in the lesson will be yours. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4. Paul is speaking about those who are sinful. He's speaking about those who are filled with unrighteousness. And he says in verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance, and I think the English Standard in particular says it here, and patience, not, not, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. That's what I just said. We presume sometimes based on his kindness and his patience that things are okay. Instead, as Paul says here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God's kindness, and you might could include there, God's patience is meant to lead us to repentance. Sometimes that only happens when we hit rock bottom. But can I encourage you this morning that whatever it might be, we need to understand that God's patience and by God's patience, I mean God giving us more time here. God's patience is not that we should keep living the way that we want to. Keep doing whatever it is that we like doing. Keep being like the world. Keep seeing how close we can get to touching the bottom of the mountain or to sin. God's patience is not acceptance. On the contrary, God's patience is giving us time to repent. The passage that we usually mention, though, of course, is 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9. We go back even to verse number 8, and we get the idea of God's patience and God's time. Peter says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, 
that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The reminder that God's timeline is not mine. God's timeline is not the same as yours. He doesn't think like we think. Which leads us into verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, if there's one verse that sums up this lesson and is trying to teach us what we need to know, it's this one. Because some people blatantly will read their Bible where it says that God will punish the wicked and the sinful, and then when they do something, they'll look up at God and say exactly what Peter says here, the Lord must be slack. He must be sleeping. He must not care that I continue in this sin. Instead, Peter says, that's not the case at all. God is not slack. As we count slackness, as we think about it, but he is patient. And patience is not acceptance. He wants us to come to repentance. God is not willing that any should perish, but that you can enjoy your life. I don't think that's what it says. God is not willing that any should perish, but that you can just do whatever it is you want to do for this time. God is not willing that any should perish, but you have got time. Just wait. Just put it off to another day. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This morning, we should always be thankful for his patience. Serving a patient God who not only shows that to us is that we then try to show that to our families and our loved ones, but that he is patient with us. That he was patient through time, and we can see that for so many people, and we are thankful for that this morning. But we must not use that as a license to sin and behave however we want. Or to continue in our sin, thinking that just because you weren't struck dead the moment it happens, that means God is okay with it. The example that I sometimes use, of course, is if a person maybe who does have an alcohol problem or does get drunk, maybe they go driving. I've been seeing a lot of those commercials on the television these days and someone who drives and they just say, well, I'll just make it home. And maybe they do. Maybe they do, thankfully, not have an accident, not kill someone, and they make it home and they think, well, I made it. It must be okay. That may not be something that you struggle with. But it may be something else in your life in which you continue to put off repentance because God's patience, God allowing us more time, makes us think that we just have more time, and it's okay. This morning, be thankful for God's patience, but also realize that you must not. We must not continue in our sin and think that God's okay with it. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a child of God. You've delayed obedience. You've delayed repentance because you've kept living God's patient. He's long-suffering, so maybe it's okay. Friends, we know many, many examples. They're in our faces every day on social media and the news about those who, as we say, die too young or have a very short life or whatever reason it might be, tragedy, accident, cancer, illness, whatever it might be. We know that we're not promised tomorrow. Why not become a Christian even today? Being obedient to the gospel plan of salvation, putting on Christ in baptism, coming in contact with his blood that washes away your sins. If you would like to know more about that plan of salvation, we'd study with you as soon as we can because it is the greatest and most important decision one can make. 
then you don't have to worry about God's timeline. You don't have to worry about how patient he might or might not be if the Lord were to return or if your life were to be required because you know that you're right with God. Maybe you're here this morning, you've done that, but you've wandered away. You've taken advantage of God's patience. You've allowed the time that you've lived to say, well, I'll just delay getting my life right with God. Don't delay. Come back to him through repentance, confession, and prayer. Allow him to take away the sin from your life as you ask for forgiveness of those things. In just a moment, one of our elders will be coming to the front to pray with you and for you because it's that important that we pause at the end of every service to extend this type of invitation that we understand that God's patience is not acceptance and we need to leave and we need to live even today being right with God. If we can help you in any way, please come forward as we stand together and as we sing.